Good morning. We'd like to welcome you all to worship this morning. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together. Joyful, joyful, we adore you, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like ours before you, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away.
Thank you so much for today. I give you praise, Lord Jesus. Fill this place with your Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Heavenly Father. I just ask that you may bless the service. Be with Pastor West as he shares and speaks with us. Help us um, to listen to his message and what you have to, um, what you have for us today. I just ask that you may build us as we go through the rest of the day. Um, in your holy and mighty name, we pray. Amen. Nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare your living hope. 
Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis 3, 1 to 19. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized They were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave some fruit, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, from dust you are, and to dust you will return. This is the word of the Lord. So a couple of announcements I want to uh, bring to your attention. Uh, one of them is that we, uh, you see some inserts in your bulletin about um, helping with children's church and nursery. And uh, maybe you won't be around during the summer, so it probably doesn't apply to you. But if you are going to be here, uh, it's a great way to serve uh, God's kingdom, to help our little ones. You know, our, our um, passion, one of our passions at church is to nurture our children in the faith. And this is one way we do that, even at such a young age as infants in the nursery, just to love them and to care for them, as well as in children's church. So if you can help out with that, fill out one of the, the uh, uh, inserts there, and uh, you can hand it to one of us as you leave, and uh, we'll make sure it gets to the right people. Uh, we're also uh, collecting, continuing to collect uh, mason jars or any kind, of, this is a ball jar, I guess, any kind of jars that, uh, like this, canning jars, uh, for a project we're doing May 8th. We got about... 20 this week, so we only need like 180 more. Uh, so if you have any of these hanging around your house that you're thinking, oh, I probably won't use that, um, you can drop them by the office, bring them next Sunday with you. Uh, we're just in the process of collecting as many as we can. And it doesn't have to be this size. If it's smaller than that, that's okay. We're not looking for the super small ones, but, you know, 12 ounces or whatever, that'd be fine. Um, and I'm, I'm excited about this project that we're going to introduce on May 8th uh, to be a part of that. Let's take a minute and uh, greet one another. Just stand and share what a greeting with others here in worship this morning. Amanda asked me if I was playing undercover boss this morning, uh, sitting in the middle of the pews. No, just, you know, shake it up a little bit, you know. It's all right. That's good. You know, we're talking about resurrection. You do different things, right? Resurrection is one of the most, uh, maybe, uh, maybe it's hard to quali- quantify sometimes what God does for us, but it has to be one of the most amazing gifts that God gives us. To think that we, though we're going to die, we're going to live. And, and we're going to live not just sort of in an existence, but with Jesus. I mean, it, quite frankly, it is mind-boggling to really begin to ponder that. 
And, and when I think about that, there are all kinds of questions that come to my mind. What's it going to be like? What, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? And, you know, when I was a kid, um, I got to be honest with you, heaven didn't seem all that exciting to me. You know, it's like, I mean, it's great. You know, I like, I like singing, you know, and, and we want to praise God, but surely we can do a little more than that, right? I remember a youth pastor asking, I was in seventh grade, said, what do you think heaven would be like? What's your dream heaven? And my thought, my answer was never-ending baseball game. I mean, you know, what could be better than that? You just keep playing all the time. Because one of the worst times of the day is when it starts getting dark and your parents call you, time to come in to eat. It's like, no, just one more inning, one more. And, you know, and, and so there's this mindset about heaven. And we all have our images, we all have our pictures. And probably there's truth in all of them. But one of the things that comes to my mind when I read the scriptures and I think about what it's going to be like when we have these resurrected bodies and we live on the new heaven and the new earth, what will we do? And I'm convinced we will work. I think we'll work. And I think that because I, I think that day that Jesus ushers in the fullness of the kingdom is going to be a, a restoration of what God intended creation to be at the beginning, only more so. And, and when you look at God creating, God finishes creation on the sixth day, but it's not done. Now, he's done with everything he's going to do. He gets to the end of it and says, everything I intended to do in creation, I've done. All of my purposes and designs for creation are finished. But it's not, it's not what we might call perfect yet. It's not, we don't stop it. Because what does God say to Adam and Eve? He says, now you go and you work. Till the ground, harvest. Plant seeds, take care of this thing that I've given you. And I think if they didn't work, it was going to look bad. It was, it was not going to do what it was supposed to do. And so even though God finishes creation and he creates and everything is about him, he gives Adam and Eve work to do. It's much like Jesus on the cross. When he gets to the last thing he says is, it is finished. And by that, he means I've done everything, Father, you have asked me to do. And from that point on, he says, now it's in your hands. And you take this and you run with it and you develop it and, and, you, and I'll help you. But, but you have work to do. The problem for me with that perspective is that I have tended to think, especially a number of years ago, that, that work, that work's part of the curse. Works bad, right? I mean, I mean, in my mind, you know, work meant you couldn't play. Work meant you couldn't do leisure things because I have. You know, we talk about it, I have to go to work. I've got work to do, and we say it in a way not that's pleasant, right? Um, some of you are, are, you know, some of you work is studying right now, and it's like, so you want to go see a movie? No, I got work to do, right? And that's the way, in the back of our minds, we tend to think about work. But work's not a part of the curse. Work was something Adam and Eve were doing before sin entered the picture. Because work is a gift of God. It is God's gift to us to participate in all that he's going to do and all that he's going to continue to do in fulfilling his purposes for his creation. And rather than work being a curse, work is a blessing. It's a gift. I mean, you know those moments when you get to the end of the day and you're tired and you've worked hard, but there is this sense of fulfillment that you accomplished some things. That things are just a little bit different than they were the day before. Maybe someone you're working with all of a sudden had something good happen to them because of your influence. Maybe because of your work, you, you discovered something you hadn't seen before. Maybe you walked away from a project you're working on, and you look at it and say, that's pretty good. It's done. And it's that kind of fulfillment of work. And that's why I think we will work throughout all of creation, because there is no end, first of all, to learning about God and exploring what God has done and made. When we get to the, when Jesus ushers in the kingdom and, and we are established in the new heaven and new earth, 
we will not automatically, all of a sudden, just understand everything there is to know about God. Because then we would be God. But rather, God gives us the privilege of revealing things to us and learning and growing and developing. And those are some of the greatest moments of life. When you're studying something and all of a sudden the light goes on, and you're like, oh, that's awesome. I never saw that before. And I think it will be full of that. But I also think we will create. We will continue to do things. We'll continue to work, probably in some of the same ways we work now. That concerns me a little bit because there are lots of things, I think, in heaven and in the new heaven and new earth that we will do. But I'm not so sure preaching is one of the things that we're going to be doing up there. And that worries me because there's not a whole lot else I can do, I'll be honest with you. You don't want me fixing things. You don't want me doing that kind of stuff. It reminds me of a cartoon I saw. The guys in heaven, you know, up in the clouds, and he's holding a sign that says John three sixteen, like you see at a lot of sporting events. The guy behind home plate or behind the uh, the goal, and the guy next to him leans over and says, "Hey, you don't have to do that here. We're all good." You know, you, you sort of you sort of feel that way. And then I, as the more I thought about it, I realized, no, no, no. We there's going to be a need for teaching and preaching, and all the ways in which we continue to develop our understanding of God and his world. I think that will be a part of it, because God's given some of us gifts to do some of those things, and we will get to exercise those gifts in phenomenal ways. I think, I think there will be a part of that, and it will go on. And what we're really saying when we talk about working, creating, we're really just talking about bearing the image of God. That's really what we're talking about. Eugene Peterson says, the first glimpse we get of God is God working. In the beginning, God worked. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And every day throughout creation, God is working. He's doing. It's, It's in the nature of God to do. It's a great book I read years ago in seminary. It's, it's called The God Who Acts. The God Who Does Things. You know, so many of the other uh, ancient understandings of their gods is, is that these gods, they don't do anything. And anything they might do is begrudgingly. But our God, he loves to create. He loves to do. He loves to make. He loves to restore and transform and recreate and repair and heal. This is what our God does. And Genesis tells us that we are created in the image of God. And one of the things about being created in the image of God is that we work. We get to do and create and make. Jesus says, um, he says, my father is always working and so am I. It is just the nature of God to work. And instead of seeing that as a curse, it's a blessing. It's a gift from God that we get to do things. We get to create and work and transform and make a difference. And that really is the intent and the purpose of our work, is to be a catalyst to carry on God's desire for the flourishing of his creation. We, are, we have the privilege of being catalysts for carrying on the work of God for flourishing his creation. That means people. And so Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, as he's beginning his ministry in Nazareth, says, this is what I came to do. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to heal the sick, to preach good news of the kingdom, to proclaim to captives that they will be set free, help to give sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to declare the Lord's favor, his desire for flourishing. This is what Jesus comes to do. And Jesus says, we now are called to do what he does. And so we're part of the the earth flourishing. We work. We recreate and we restore and we bring to life. And it's a privilege. And it's not just about people, individuals, as much as it is that. But there is this bigger sense of 
of what we do, it has bearing on, on the culture, on, on society, on, on the world at large. That we have a role to play in, in bringing, about, uh, bringing about life and, and things like justice into the world. We're, we're fighting evil in this world. And evil is present, pre- prevalent all over the world. And one of the, one of the gifts we have been given is to have, do something, small or large, to combat that. Our work in, in some form or another is, is, a, is, a, is a strike against evil. Because as I said last week, when, it, when you think about evil, it's destruction. When you think about God, it's construction. And so we, whatever we do, whatever it looks like, whatever our work is, it is moving us toward, toward a little step here, a little step there of making the world a better place. Making the world a place that looks more like God intended it than it is currently. And that means that whatever we do, whatever part we role we play, however uh, large or small it may be, however we may judge it as being spiritual or not, is a part of that role. We're doing something to make the world a better place. And a lot of what we do is probably behind the scenes, and that's okay. We're trying to, every, every time we do something good, Every time something of our work makes life a little easier for people, something we do assists people, something we do makes the world just a little bit better place, we are striking a blow against evil. Every time. Every single time. And we're declaring that we believe God takes our work and uses it for the flourishing of his creation. And it's an amazing gift. And so we talk about justice and, and we talk about bringing beauty into the world because that too enhances creation. All the ways in which we make the world just a little bit more beautiful. And it might be uh, things like creating art that we look at or we experience. And, but it might just be small things like cleaning up this place or taking care of that problem or, or going behind people and, and, and helping them as they go about what they do. Who knows? It's all a part of, again, creating, recreating, being a part of God's recreating of his flourishing creation. It's bringing Christ into our world. It is helping people to see what Jesus is like. The love of Christ, the, the patience of God, the goodness, the kindness, the mercy, the truth. All of that that is a part of who we are and what we do has an influence on the, on the world, making it just a little bit more like God intended it to be through the work of his spirit. I think the struggle we have is that because sin has entered the picture... It, it, has, it has twisted and marred and confused us about work. I mean, we see it all the time. The reason we have to work for justice is because there's so much injustice. There are, there are all kinds of people in the world whose goal of, of what they do is not to make the world a better place, it's to make the world a worse place. It is to hurt people injure people, manipulate people, walk on people, take advantage of people. There is some work that is inappropriate, that's wrong. It doesn't belong in God's creation. And we miss that sometimes. I mean, sin has entered the world and it has turned and twisted things. Now, I would suspect most of us would say, yeah, we get that. And we're not going to be involved in activities that are going to hurt people, except that we do it sometimes without even realizing it. When when the goal of our work is not to see, to be a part of God's creation and all that's a part of it to flourish, 
typically the opposite side of that is that we do work in order to get something for ourselves. And work can become very self-centered. We can become very self-absorbed about our work, about what we do. And when that happens, we have a tendency to take advantage of people and to use people and to ignore people and to take advantage of all the elements of God's creation. Because we're more interested in what we can get than about what we can contribute. We get more interested in how much we can, how much wealth we can accumulate. We're interested in how much fame we can get, how much influence or power we can grab. And those things in of themselves are not wrong. Sometimes those are very well, are exactly the effects of our work. But if that's the reason we work, if that's the driving force behind our work, then we have a skewed picture of our work and it will always lead us down wrong paths. It makes us enslaved to work. You know, when the Israelites are in Egypt, Exodus tells us about the ways in which the Egyptians treat them and it's horrible. And they are slaves to the Egyptians. And as I reread that passage again, it struck me that that's not the only way we get enslaved to work. We get enslaved to work when it drives us and controls us and manipulates us. And one of the ways I've discovered for myself, when work is in the wrong priority in my life, it's, I, I can tell that because I tend to ignore Sabbath. You know, if, if work is what's driving you and, and all the stuff that work can give you, if that's what's driving you, more than likely you're not going to practice Sabbath. And I recognize there are some times in our lives the way the structure of our job may be or the structure of our responsibilities may be, because I'm not just talking about work that we get paid for. But whatever kinds of whatever we're doing, there are some times where it the, the the push of that and the pull of that means we just have to keep at it. But is that the exception or is that the rule? I mean, there are times where Jesus he makes he takes an exception of the Sabbath to do good and to accomplish the work that he he's come to do. But that's the exception, not the rule. And when work is driving us, when we're enslaved to work, ignoring Sabbath becomes the rule rather than the exception. We don't have time to do Sabbath. We've got to do this. We've got to accomplish this. We've got to get more and more and more and more. And and what we don't realize is that we are now what we call workaholics, which means we are enslaved to our work. And I think sometimes the reason we do that is because sin has caused us to understand work, to misunderstand how we value work. What tends to happen is we see work as this is valuable, that's not so valuable. Both good, both helpful to to flourishing, But, you know, it's just not quite as important. And that's a mistake we make. Anything we do, anywhere we do it, that brings about any level of good, any level of making people in the world better, is good. And the problem is sometimes we don't see it. We miss it. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes about the body as a metaphor for the church. And he says the body has all kinds of parts. Some we see, some we don't see, some we value, some we don't value. And he says the truth of the matter is all of it, every single part is important for the body to be the body. And I say that about our work. Some of the work that we do may be ignored and unrecognized. And some other work that we do might be out in front of everyone. But whatever we do, we do it as a means of joining God in helping creation and his people flourish. Then it's good. And I know society puts values on different kinds of work 
quite frankly, unfortunately, sometimes the church does that too. And that's wrong. When I mentioned a little bit ago about working in the nursery and children's church, I think one of the reasons we have a hard time recruiting for our children's ministries is that if we're really honest about it, we're not really sure that's all that valuable. It's not really worth my time. I mean, it's not that I don't like children, but you know, I've got more important things to do. I'm not sure that's the picture we get of Jesus. I think Jesus might say, maybe there's not anything more important that we do. Sometimes we think about work as I go somewhere and I get paid for it. And, and in certain circles of, of society, there is a stigma to people who stay home with children. And even say, well, so you don't work. <laughs> Anybody who stayed home with children would tell you otherwise. It's some of the most important work anyone does to nurture little ones, to help them to know what life is about, what God is about, what they are about. When you look at the world and people who who create great injustice, I I would not at all be surprised. In fact, I would almost be totally convinced if you went back in their life to what was happening when they were little, some of those Mind kinds of ways of thinking were implanted in them in a wide variety of ways when they were small. And the people who we look at with great honor and respect, because they're the kind of people we'd like to be, you go back in their life, and I can guarantee you, at some point, as when they were young, there were good influences on them. People said, this is important. And that's how I see the kingdom. work, making things flourish. And I know sometimes we, maybe we don't like your work. I mean, quite, for all of us, there are times where we don't like our work, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. There are things about all of our jobs that we say, yeah, I wish that weren't the case. But sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes it's just, this is, I just don't like doing this job. I don't like doing what I'm doing. And I think there are a couple of ways to think about that. One is to say, well, is there something else to do? Is there another, is there some way, other way of using your gifts, of using the abilities God's given you? And, and maybe the hesitancy is I need to step out and take a risk. A lot of work is about risk. But maybe your circumstances can't change. Maybe because of your family setting, maybe because of your responsibilities to other people, maybe just simply because of how life is at the moment, it's not going to change. So then the question becomes, can I see God in this work? Can I believe that despite the fact that it's not what I want to be doing, can I believe that God is in the middle of it and he can use me to help others flourish? And I am convinced, because I've had jobs through my life where they weren't my favorite. And sometimes my attitude was right, sometimes my attitude wasn't. But looking back, I could see that God wanted to use whatever I was doing, whether it was my job, my family, my friends, whatever I was doing, to be a catalyst for flourishing in their lives and in the world. Can we see God prompting us to that, helping us with that, changing our perspective about our work, about whatever it is we're doing? Ultimately, well, the other thing I was going to say is that Sometimes we get tied up with results. You know, our job isn't what we want. What we're doing is what we want because we're not seeing results from what we're doing. And quite frankly, I don't know that we're always promised results. There's a lot of work we do. We just do it and we trust God and we try to do the best that we can and we try to be a catalyst for flourishing. But sometimes we don't see it. Mother Teresa after she died, people found 
some of her writings where despite you know this amazing work she did among the poorest of the poor and the, the weakest of the weak in Calcutta, she often said, I don't know if God is really using me or doing anything about what I'm doing. She couldn't see it. And sometimes that's the case, and we have to trust God that he's at work. Ultimately, all that we do, work we get paid for, work we don't get paid for, work in which we create or learn, work in which we repair or transform or renew, whatever it may be in whatever setting it may happen in, whatever it may be, all across the spectrum. Ultimately, our goal is to bring glory to God. And if our mindset is, Lord, I don't know how, I don't know what way you're going to do this, but I want what I do to bring glory to you. It will change our perspective about whatever it is we're doing. Jesus says in his high priestly prayer in the garden just before he gets arrested and goes to the cross, he says, Father, I've done the work on earth you called me to do for your glory. And I don't think that just means that the last week of Jesus' life brought glory to God. I don't think the three years that Jesus was out in public ministry brought glory to God. I think all the 30-some years of his life brought glory to God. The things that looked spiritual and the things that maybe weren't so spiritual brought glory to God. Because that was the mindset of Jesus. I, I read recently um, a book that where the author was talking about how when we think about our work and what we do on earth, we think about, we think about our activity. We're not God, but we are, in his words, playing God. And he said, that may strike you as a strange thing to say, that we're playing God. But he said, that's really what I mean. I'm serious about that. Because when you watch a child playing, what are they almost always doing? Imitating an adult. They're imitating an older sibling. They're imitating an aunt or an uncle. They're imitating an older friend. They're imitating somebody else in what they do. And this is really what God is calling us to do. To imitate him. To let his spirit so be in what we do that it actually is a catalyst to flourishing. As we imitate, as we bear the image of God. So as you think about what you do, what you call work and maybe what you don't, Do you see God in the middle of it? Can you believe that God is actually using you and me to make a difference? That's his plan. That's his promise. In eternity and now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace to us that It gives us this amazing gift of being able to do things, to work, to accomplish, to create, to transform, to renew. Father, this morning we think about uh, our lives and and all the, the burdens and the concerns that we bring with us today. And I pray that you would hear our prayers. Hear our prayers for those who are grieving, for those who are struggling with illness and pain, for those who are facing a difficult decision and want your wisdom, for those who are involved in a relationship that where there's been some hurt and pain and fracturing and that you would bring healing. For all the things of life, we turn to you. We thank you. 
We thank you for the ministry of this church, and we thank you especially for the finance committee that is at work on our budget for this next year. And a task that may feel a little bit mundane at times, but I know they take it seriously, and I know you can use it for good. So give them wisdom and give them a spirit of faith as they put this together. Bless the churches around us and bless the the First United Methodist Church of Angelica. May they connect with each other and with their community and beyond to share you. And Lord, we pray for our nation and all the difficulties and struggles of our nation and, and for our world. We think of the people of Haiti and pray today for Pastor John and our DS Joey Jennings and Kim Gladden as they are there on an exploration mission and that you would give them the ability to see how we can connect with the churches in Haiti. And we pray for our brothers and sisters in Cuba. We are thankful for more freedom, but there is still difficulty. Give faith and courage and strength in the midst of all of it. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. Thank you for your grace and mercy upon us. As we come to this table this morning, we pray, Father, that you would pour out your anointing on the bread and the cup, that as we eat and drink, that we might, we might know the power of the risen Christ in us, that we might get a glimpse of that day when we will experience the kingdom in all of its glory. Father, let this be food to our souls and every part of our being. And we pray all of this through Christ Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. For this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you're released by rose this morning, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisle. The altar rail is always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, or if you simply prefer, we have a tray of bread and cups happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. If you would like those, just let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention we practice open communion to Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to God and with a desire for, for God to fill you and to, and to change you and to work in you, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father. Trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied.
the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.